Gert van Rooyen and Joey Harroff died on the 15th of January 1990. The six missing girls were never found, but the police believed there was enough circumstantial evidence to link at least five of the kidnapped girls to van Rooyen and Harroff. The key to Annemarie's mother's flat and Odette's yellow school bag were discovered in van Rooyen's house after his death. Five months after Van Rooyen and Harov's deaths, and nine months after Annemarie Wapnaar and Odette Boucher had been kidnapped, a letter was found at the Fabric Library in Midrand. The note was allegedly written by Annemarie and in English, even though she was Afrikaans-speaking and just 12 years old. In the note, she asked for help and declared that she and her friend Odette had been kidnapped. She also provides an address in Glen Hazel in Johannesburg. But her own name and Odette's name was misspelt. In 1996, the police said the investigation showed no link between the address and the missing children. Focus obtained two letters from Annemarie's mother written shortly before her disappearance. A forensic handwriting expert compared these letters to the copy found at the Fabric Library. Dr. Cecilia Rosa, who specializes in cognitive psychology with an interest in neuroscience, explains her findings. You can never claim a naught error rate. It's always degrees of probability that you're working with. Well, that was my uh, conclusion, ultimately, that it can't be the same person. There are three categories of writing, and form is one of those elements that can be manipulated pretty easily if you're trying to disguise your writing um, or if you're trying to, to emulate somebody else's handwriting. But there are other elements of handwriting, which I concentrated on when I looked at this, which are unconscious. Um, things like space, for example, and movement, those are not things that are easy to, to emulate. You will always go back to your way of doing it. You know... When you're looking at handwriting, one of the easiest signs to manipulate would be slant. But it's also one of the, the, the handwriting features that's the most difficult to maintain if you're writing in a style not your own. Her uh, writing for a 12-year-old showed quite a left slanted handwriting. But the same cannot be said for the fabric library note. So you can see the slant here. First of all, um, is mostly upright and the end to the right with the odd one to the left so it's quite erratic so whoever was writing here uh, either consistently writes in a mixed slant or was trying to write in a way that they are not used to if we look at spacing spacing of the known writing is very consistently wide between the words Um, also very consistently wide between the letters, what we call secondary width. Whereas in the uh, questioned writing, you have a very erratic word spacing. Now, word spacing is an unconscious thing. You don't deliberately decide where you're going to put the next word. So that's why I say I, I prefer to concentrate on that which you are not going to manipulate. Uh, rather than form which you can manipulate okay and that is why one of the, i mean it, it more and more if i put all those features together it's telling me these are two different people who wrote here and here dr rosa also analyzed the forensic linguistics of the letter found at the library forensic linguistics isn't well known in south africa 12 year old writing in english uh, being so precise with postal codes and 
the spelling and if you're writing a letter where you're in a hurry to get somebody to come and help you, this is a very deliberate piece of writing. So it's somebody who's thought about, I'm going to start here and I'm going to end there. My name is, is very unusual for somebody in a very, in, in dire circumstances. It's really unusual. Please do so as soon as possible. Is the kind of language that you get from an adult, not a child. Please do so, and especially not an Afrikaans-speaking child. I would say very close to sure, sure, sure. I'd say very probable, not written by the same person. Very probable, highly probable. I doubt any handwriting expert would, would tell you that it's the same person. At first, Annemarie's mother, Kobi Wapnaar, and her brother, Herman, believed the letter could have been written by Annemarie. Now they have their doubts. The copy they received from the fabric library was faint, and Annemarie's name was not visible. After looking at a clearer copy, Kobi Wapnaar questions the authenticity of the letter. She says her daughter would not have misspelled her own name, and her command of English was not of the level used in the note. This now leaves many questions. Who was responsible for this letter? What did they want to achieve? Why implicate the people who lived at the address provided in the note? Why did the police state at the time that the letter was definitely written by Anna-Marie when there are so many discrepancies? I'm Alette von Rensburg, right in Johannesburg. Now in the studio, welcome, uh, Alette. Let's let's just perhaps start with the background for those people who don't know who Gert van Ruin is or who these girls are and the circumstances surrounding their disappearance. Well, it happened almost 30 years ago. Um, in 1988, two girls disappeared, and then in 1989, four. With the exception of one, they were all blonde and blue-eyed, and their ages differed, I think, between 11 and 13 or 14, um, and they disappeared without a trace. There were also eyewitnesses that then gave descriptions of a woman and kept saying there was a woman. They gave descriptions of the cars. But for two years, people in the country who had blonde girls with blue eyes were petrified because um, they lived in fear because these kids didn't appear in one neighborhood or one city. Some appeared in, disappeared in Pretoria, one in Joburg. Uh, one in Peter Maritzburg in KwaZulu-Natal, so you can imagine the mm. fear. And they posted these pictures of the girls on the milk cartons. And I can remember very well, you know, having breakfast, looking at these little faces, and nobody knew. And then in January 1990, um, there was a girl who escaped from a house in Pretoria in Capitol Park, and she claimed that this, this woman had actually kidnapped her and taken her to the house and she claimed she was molested and there was this man and that's how the police then found Gert van Ruen and Joey Harhoff and they also realized that the identikit they had of the woman who'd been seen you know taking these children fitted the description of Joey Harhoff and then there was like a four-day period where everyone was searching for Gert van Ruen and Joey Harhoff and it was in the early hours of January the 15th, it was a Monday morning, that the news came that they'd actually died. The police said there was a chase in Pretoria, and then the police said they'd committed suicide, Joey Harov and Gert van Ruen. And ever since then, no one has ever found these girls. They don't know what happened to them. They don't know whether 
uh, they'd been sold, whether they'd been killed, whether they are still alive, whether they're somewhere in another country. And everyone's been searching, and there's been so many stories and so many developments mm. over the years. So the Pretoria girl was not able to give more information on what could have possibly happened to the other girls? Unfortunately not, because she didn't see any other children, and she was taken into the house. She was locked in a in a in like a linen cupboard and she managed to escape so she wasn't there long enough that she could Mm. really give the details the police later found a school bag and a key um, that linked Van Rooyen to Odette Boucher and Annemarie Wapenaar and over the years there were so many people who said they've seen the girls the police said no it was proved to be false until then it was five months after the death of Gert van der Rooyen and Joey Harov that this this specific letter was found in the fabric library in Midrand and in the letter um, it was written you know and attributed to Annemarie Wapenaar and that she asked for help and said that they'd been kidnapped and she gave an address in Glen Hazel in Johannesburg and asked for help and well you know, so know. so what does the new evidence show now? That was probably Gert van Rooyen or um, Joey Harhoff who, who wrote the letter. Well, we don't know if it was them. We don't know who wrote the letter because all these years the police told us that their forensic experts um, s- believe that Anna-Marie did write the letter. And what happened was I started investigating the case the year before last because of information that came across my path, you know, and you have to as a journalist follow mm. up. And I got more and more information, more and more people gave me stuff, and I managed to get a copy of this letter and a very clear copy. And I happened to go visit Anna-Marie's mother one day, and as we went through all her documents, we found two letters that Anna-Marie wrote, and I looked at it and I thought, but it doesn't look like the other letter that I've got, the handwriting. So I asked her if I could have copies and decided to have it analyzed, and the expert that we spoke to, um, she's very qualified, she said, Definitely not. Um, you can't be a hundred percent sure because it's not uh, an exact science; it's an applied science. But as close as possible to hundred hmm. percent sure, she is sure it's not the same person. And what's more interesting is Anna Marie was Afrikaans. She grew up in Kempton Park. She was only twelve years old, and the her command of English, I think, was not at the level of the language used in that letter. That l- English was really of quite a high standard, very formal English, and this was confirmed by the expert we spoke to. So um, the question now is who is responsible for the letter? What did they want to achieve? Is there any indication of when that letter was written? No. All we know is that the letter was found in June 1990. And even more interesting is that the police only informed the family, the Valpenaars, about the letter months later. The media only found out about the letter in 1993, three years later. Mm. Um, it's, um, it was all very hush-hush. The police later told the family that they'd been to that address and that they'd investigated and there was no link between the address and um, the children. A lot of things have been said, though, in intelligence reports that have been distributed on um, the web, but it's all allegations, you know, no proof. So just finally, how are the families coping? Um, I mean, it's it's difficult to hold on to hope when there's no indication that there should be, but I'm sure there are parents who just need at least physical evidence of what, what was the fate of their daughters.
I find, you know, it also differs from family to family, but they've got one thing in common. They all want answers. They also feel they haven't had enough feedback over the years from the police and from, you know, what's happening because it's a cold case. Every time there's new evidence, they investigate. And um, they're desperate for answers. And I find that most of the families, not all of them, but many of them believe or are still hoping that their children would be alive. We don't know. We really to be quite honest, at this stage, we don't know. Um, specifically, Anna-Marie Wapner's mother, you know, has asked me, don't stop, please carry on, you know. I don't want you to stop, I need to know. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for sharing that with us. Very uh, sad indeed. Executive producer from Focus, uh, Alette van Rensburg-Wright, 